listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Let's dive into the message today. We're in week three of a series called Little Things. Um, we, we, um, we often direct all of our focus on big things that we want to see in our lives. So we see something and, and we think about it and we, we, we focus on it. And a lot of times what happens is that we see this mountain that we've got to climb. And Satan loves us to be in that spot because if we're looking at this mountain and we, see, we feel like it's impossible, sometimes we will, we will settle at the base of a mountain that God called us to go over. A lot of times we saw in, in even the westward migration to the United States, people came and they saw the might of the Rocky Mountains and decided, you know what? We're just going to stop right here in Denver. You know what I mean? Like we're going to, Denver's at the foot of the mountains. Like that's where they stopped. But there's so much more over the other side that God wants you to get to. We just have to be careful that we don't compromise when God's wanting us to go over it. But the problem is we look at the thing that we're facing and it's so big in our vision that we get terrified. And Satan loves us to be in this spot. We can get bogged down because either the thing that we're looking at just seems too impossible or we think it's going to take just big things to get that big thing taken care of. I mean, we can look at it like that with our finances right now with this building. Wow, $540,000 is a lot. Okay, we have $227,000. Okay, bro, it's still $300,000. That's a lot of money. That seems like a massive, massive mountain. But I know a God who levels mountains. He raises up the low places. He makes the path where we can walk upon it. That's what God does. But if we're just sitting here focusing on the big thing, we get bogged down, and it's a part of the enemy's strategy to keep us from moving forward. It's the little things, though, that make the big impacts. Let's use this as an analogy. Let's think of it in terms of housework. You know, Monique and I have talked about this before. She says sometimes she'll walk out and she'll see our house. And when you have three kids under the age of 12, y'all can imagine what a house looks like. Come on, where my, my young kid people at? You know, like, good Lord, like little tornadoes living with your house. I thought you, I thought you were a human. I didn't know you was a tornado. Um, that's some F5s rolling around my house, I'll tell you that much. And you can look in your house and just look. And, and Monique's even told me there are times I'm just over, so overwhelmed, I don't even know where to start. If your house is a mess, you probably have kids. Um, that's what I wrote down here. It's funny. Uh, seriously, though, you, it can be overwhelming when you look at the mess that's in front of you. We often don't know where to start. So how can I possibly make a difference here? Look at what Zechariah 4.10 says. I ain't trying to get biblical about your housework, but do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So if you're having trouble getting going, just the Lord rejoices and you start and clean up your house. But let's look at it like this. In terms of your messy house, don't focus on the big mess. Start with one thing, one little thing. You know what? We're going to start by picking up the trash. Okay? And if you have those little kids, <laughs> you just got help. Okay? It's, 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 it's great. They're great help. Um, then you go to the next little thing. You pick up the clothes. And you keep doing the little things, and what happens is you see the big thing happen. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. But all things should be done decently in order. Now, Paul is specifically talking here about how church services should operate. But the word says all things. Decently and in order does not imply big and all at once. It implies methodical and intentional. It's not the big things, it's the little things. 
You know, in relationships, it's never really the big things that knock it out of the park. The big thing is typically the last straw. It's the series of little things that should have been addressed months before that create the rift. That's how it works in relationships. And how, that's how it works at your house, too. Okay? You, you know those cooks that have to use every pot and pan they got at the house? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I have a friend. I'm not going to say his name. He doesn't live here, but he, he's a friend. He may watch, so I'm not going to say it. But this guy, he's a great cook, but I'm telling you, if there's a pot or a pan in that house, that sucker got something stuck on the side of it. How many of you are the cook and I clean as I cook? See, it's because y'all got the love of Christ in y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I, I just want people to see that I've done something. You know what I mean? No, I'm kidding. But the whole point is if, I mean, just think of it in housework. If we're faithful to clean up the little messes, they don't create big messes. You hear what I'm saying? That's a word for somebody today. All right. So in terms of your house, we've talked about that. Well, what about in terms of your messy life? Fixing everything at once is not only impossible, it's impractical. You didn't make the mess in a day. You probably ain't going to clean it up in a day either. Well, Jesus, I'm just going to come before you. Now, listen, I want to be honest with you. There are times when God does something and he heals miraculously and you are, you are done with the baggage of whatever you came in with. But that doesn't mean that when you walk out of here that there's not going to be stuff you have to deal with. So while God can do the impossible, you need to realize that there are things that your wake has made and messed up that you sometimes have to go back and correct. All right. I'm not trying to be discouraging, but that's just the truth of how life works. By the way, here's a side note. God is not mad at you because you sinned and messed up your, your life over the course of time. You didn't, you didn't mess everything up in a day. And God wasn't mad at you on any of those days. Now, was he disappointed? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, just the same way I'm disappointed when my kids don't, don't obey. Um, but God's not mad at you. He's glad that you're here taking the step to correct it. You want proof of that? Put that Zechariah verse back up there. Don't despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Some of you have felt like a burden your whole lives to people. But I want you to know to the Lord, you are not a burden. He wants to do a work in you, and he rejoices in this moment right now to see it begin to happen in you. You need to embrace that. So be sure that you start with little things that make big impacts. And then here's one. Give yourself some grace and understanding. You give grace and understanding to everybody else. You know what? If you're good at giving grace to people, but not to yourself, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start saying what you would say to them in the mirror. And maybe it'll help. Making these adjustments we're talking about in this series is going to require you to adjust your thinking. I want to read to you this passage in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. But Christ, uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Seeking things that are above. You know, some of the, the, the our culture is weird, man. It's super weird. Um, we're always trying to move up. We're always trying, everything's always trying to get better. Better job, better house, better friends, better car, better phone, better life. I mean, good Lord, you buy a phone, you put it on notes because that's how you have to buy phones these days. And before you even get the first app installed, they're already advertising the phone for next year that's supposed to make your phone obsolete. Like, man, I just got the thing, man. How good of a picture do we have to take, y'all? I'd look, I'd take a picture of video sometimes of me, like these little videos, and it's like, I can see pores. Y'all don't need to see that. <laughs> too far, Apple. You went too far. <laughs> we climb the corporate ladder. We advance from one grade to the next. It all seems that our focus is on moving up. Yeah. When I was writing this, I started singing, moving on up to the east side. <laughs> Come on, y'all don't... Don't let me get an organ and a drum kit up in here. If you want to advance, even the culture will tell you that it starts in your thought life. There are a million books on it. I decided to look how many books there were about thinking. And like my screen was flooded, man. The magic of thinking big. Think smarter. Stretch the mind. The art of thinking clearly. Oh, think again. The organized mind. Atomic thinking. It's nonstop books on how you think. The world's going to tell you that how you are thinking isn't going to get you what you want. So if you want to get what you want, you need to change how you're thinking. Well, guess what, though? The statement is true in Christianity as well. But the issue here is not that the truth of what you're thinking helps you get what you want, but it's what you're wanting that's the important part. The world is happy to fill in the blanks for you. I want blank to make me happy. I want blank to make me feel successful. I want blank to make me feel like I'm somebody. And the world will fill it in. A better job, a better house, a better car, a better phone, a better spouse, I hope not. A, a better life. But y'all, all those things that the world says is better that you need, listen, those are below things, not above things. They're below things. The Bible tells us to seek things that are above but we are much more likely to focus our energy on seeking things that are below. You see, we don't seek higher things. We seek things that get us higher. That's what we're wanting. And in fact, we'll even do this. It's kind of funny because it's like a little wordplay here. But what's funny is that people will medicate with things like alcohol and drugs because they're wanting to get away. They're wanting to transcend the current feeling that they're experiencing. We'll do anything it takes to adjust our mind so that we can not endure what we're having to deal with. We oftentimes are junkies for the things that we think will help our stars rise. Things that will help us get a better job, the better house, the better car, the better life. Yeah. We, we, we embrace those things and we chase after those things. And why do we do that? It's because we think that that's what life is about. I think sometimes we even think that's what God wants for us. God wants you to be happy. Listen to me, bro. God could care less at times if you're happy. There have been plenty of times where God has known what he was doing with me was not going to make me happy, but I had to endure it because it was going to make me a better person, a, a person closer to him, stronger, seeking the right things. Yeah. When I spank my children, they ain't happy. But it makes a better human out of them. 
So any of this mess that God, oh, God just wants you to be happy. That is a lie, in my opinion. Okay, it's just a lie. God wants you full of joy, man. Joy is not contingent upon your circumstances, but happiness is. I can be full of joy to the brim, but I might not be happy. This rush towards happiness in our culture, it's insanity. You know, you know what's crazy? It's, you can't maintain it. If you know somebody that's happy 24-7 all the time, they probably have some type of disorder. Like, I'm not joking. It's humanly impossible to be happy every second of every day. Now, should we strive to be joyful and happy and, you know, yeah, sure. But when all you ever do is chase after your happiness, at some point you're going to fail. And then what do you have? This stuff, chasing after happiness, chasing after the betters. Did you know something? It feels good. Like, it really feels good. Like, when you get a better car, you sit in the thing, you're like, new car smell. And they can't recreate it with them little bottles. You know what I'm saying? You smell, smell like outside of a car wash with them little things. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something about that new car smell. It smells good. And you know what? You get an endorphin rush from it. We get instant gratification in that moment, both internally and from our culture. It's like going out to eat. The food is delicious, but they always bring the bill at the end when you're full. Better job. Let's go, man. Better car. Sweet. But I'm not saying that these things are bad. I'm not saying it's wrong if you get a better car. I'm wanting my wife to have a better car right now because the one we're having right now has got some issues going on. There's nothing wrong with that. We say all the time here, God doesn't care what you have. He cares what has you. Okay? But while I'm not saying that those are bad things, let me ask you this. What have you had to sacrifice to get it? You're always laying something on the altar, so what is it? You know, what, what is it? A better job, but more time away from your family? A better car, but now you've got a $700 car note for six years? They're financing cars for 10 years now. It's because they cost $100,000. 10 years. The car's worth nothing in five. It's probably worth nothing after three minutes after my kids spill something on it. Yeah. <laughs> What about this? A better house, but the one you already have is perfectly fine. Again, I'm not saying better is bad. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is that we often sacrifice our time, energy, sanity, even spirituality for better. Yeah, you might have an eight-year-old car. But that eight-year-old car means you don't have a car note. And it means that you don't have to have that overtime. It means that those two extra hours you can spend with your kid. You know what my kids, you know what my kids want more than anything every day long every day? They ask, it's the one thing they always ask for. Dad, are you gonna do snuggles tonight? Are you gonna tuck us into bed? That's what my kids want more than anything. So you know what, as a dad, I better be sure that my priorities are right. Because it's making an impact on my children, whether I like it or not. I have to be sure what I'm chasing, what I'm thinking about. And again, I'm not saying better is bad, but you have to think about what you're sacrificing 
when you get those better things. We might get a natural endorphin rush from newer, better things, but we can miss the supernatural endorphin rush from being content with what we have, like Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4. Y'all, we love Philippians 4.13. I can do all thanks to Christ who strengthens me. Like We love it. It's our favorite verse. But look at what it says before 4.13. Not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 is not an endorsement from God to do whatever you want to do. It's not saying I'm going to do this and God will strengthen me because I'm doing this. What Paul is saying is I've had a lot, I've had a little. I've had abundance and I've had lack. I've had everything in between. And I know that I can face any situation that's in front of me. Why? Because God is all I need. All of the strength that I need is found in Jesus my Savior. Whether he was in need or abundance, he was content. And just a real quick note, God is not saying you have to be poor to be happy. Because the Bible says that Paul was in need and he was in abundance. We have to learn, though, when good enough is good enough. When's it going to be enough money, man? When's the house going to be big enough? When's the car going to have enough gadgets? Like, when is enough enough? I think it's one of the reasons why people have such a hard time feeling good enough right now. They look around at other people and focus on what they have, and they develop their idea of worth based on the things that the culture might call above, but that God calls below things. When you base your enoughness on things that are below, you'll never feel enough to receive the things that are above. This is huge. This is so important. This is where so many people in our culture are today. They don't feel like they're enough. And one of the main reasons is because they're looking around at the Joneses and trying to keep up with them. And then, and then that makes them feel like they're not enough. And when you feel like you're not enough and God wants to pour out a blessing on your life, you start pushing back, thinking that I don't deserve it because I'm not good enough. Yeah. What's happened with us? I'll tell you what's happened is we've set our minds on below things. Instead of above things. That's what's happened. Remember we're seeking the things that are above. Not the things that are below. And just like you have a higher calling. You have a higher level of thinking. That God wants you to embrace as well. Now we often do things. That strive for that higher thing. But we, we sometimes don't consult God. Before we leap. Okay. Now we had a series back in March of 2022. Um, called Precipice. And we talked about how to trust God to take the leap. That you can't live on a precipice. Did you know that? You can't live on a precipice. You either go back or you jump off the thing. Now here's something that I said in that, in that uh, series. The scary part isn't the jumping, it's the landing. Will God catch us? Well, if we jump when and where he says, yes, he will. But the worst part of that precipice isn't the jump and it isn't the landing. It's making sure it was God who said go in the first place. Now listen, there are a lot of people, a lot of people, maybe you, who are currently in free fall. And you're terrified because you've realized that God never said jump. And you don't know what's going to happen. Now listen to me. You might be in free fall, but I know a God who is able to catch you even if your jump was your mistake. Whether you were pushed, enticed, 
or jumped on your own. When God said, don't jump, you did it anyway. Even in those moments, God has enough grace and mercy and love in his heart for you to catch you. He won't let your foot be dashed against his own. He'll send one of them big old eagles from Lord of the Rings to come and swoop you up out the fire. Come on, Monique. That's what will happen if... That's what will happen. But here's the key. If you submit to him. And it starts by saying, God, I jumped. I shouldn't have. I should have listened to you. All of my friends said, don't do it. I knew I wasn't supposed to do it, but I wanted it because my endorphins are going now. And I did it anyway. So what I'm asking you to do right now is first, forgive me, please. I'm so sorry. But number two, God, will you catch me? He will. When we focus our attention, our mindsets on what the culture calls above, that's when we find ourselves in trouble. You know, if you look at this passage of Scripture, you know, it starts off with set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. You've died to Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. It talks about all these bad things that, from your old nature that God's wanting you to throw away. And then talks about how we are being renewed in our knowledge. That's our mind. We're being renewed in our mind. And so if you said yes to Jesus, then you're in Christ now. And what God wants you to have is Christ's mindset. So remember, as a Christian, you're dead. You're dead to your old nature. You're dead to sin. You're dead to that old life. But you're alive in Christ Jesus. That means that Jesus is living through you. That's not sin living in you anymore. It's Christ living through you. Now let me ask you this. How much this week have you had those moments where you knew Jesus was living in you versus the moments where you knew your old self was resurrected inside of you? I said it to uh, pastors this week, talking to, I talked to them about motives at our pastor's luncheon. And um, I asked them, if, if we replayed the contents of your dash cam, would, we, would, would you be okay? <laughs> Die from the singing. Uh, but, you know, some of us are in traffic. So what will we hear on your dash cam audio? Jesus. Everybody would have gotten a prophetic anointing in that moment, calling out demons and people. You're alive in Jesus. He lives inside of you. But listen, you have to put off the old self. Well, what's the old self? That's how you thought and acted before you said yes to Jesus. That was your motives and intents before you were crucified with Christ. And did you see that list? This list is what the culture says you need to do to get the things that you want to get, the things that they call above. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, from your mouth lying. God tells us to throw these things off. I'm not just like gently place them upon the altar. Throw them off. There's no intention for the thing to come back to you if you throw it. It's an aggressive getting rid of. That's what God's telling us to do with all these things. So your anger problem, look, I know what you're talking about. That's something I struggle with. I'm supposed to throw that sucker off the moment I begin to feel angry. That's what thinking above looks like. He says, throw these things off. Because not, all, not, all, not only are they counter to the life that you now have with Jesus, but it's these very things that you cling to so you can have what the world calls above. Let me give you some examples. When offenses come, what it does is it awakens evil desires in you and you cling to them. When relationships go bad, you slander people. Calling them up, talking mess about people. That's what you do. 
run your mouth rather than deal with the problem. When you're at odds with your spouse, you're immoral. Let me tell you something. It doesn't take another human. It takes another image. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus said, even if you think it in your heart, you're guilty of it. You telling me that your relationship with your spouse is so bad that, that one little problem and you're thinking immoral? Let me tell you something. The time to get help with your marriage, guys, is not when things are hitting the fan and it's the last straw. It's months before when you started having frustrations that you couldn't squash in normal life. Everybody has frustrations with other people. I mean, my goodness, Monique loves it when I leave stuff all over the countertop. She loves it. And she hugs me and says, Jason, I know, th- I know that you're here and still in my life because there's stuff on the countertop. Some of that is just being married. You know, how come you can't put the little cat back on the tube? I just don't understand how people can get so much pa- toothpaste outside of the... Never mind. It's a whole different point. But those little frustrations can be dealt with, can't they? But if you wake up every morning and the first thing you think of, this old bag, you need to get some help. Come, I mean, can I be real here? Or are we going to play around church? Like, if, 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 if you think about getting home and you'd rather just stay at work, you need to go talk to somebody. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastors Marvin and Gwen. You can talk to Pastors Deborah and Chuck. You can talk to anybody. You can talk to Jesus first. I'll pay for your marriage counseling. Let's get help. If you think your possessions aren't good enough, you covet. If you, if you don't get your way, you get angry. If you can't have what you want, you lie, you cheat, and you steal to get it. Guys, what the world calls above, Jesus calls death. Death. So we have to change our mindset. That's what this week's little thing is. Oh, that's a huge thing. No, it's not. It's a little thing. It's little mental changes that will help you create a big change in your life. This passage starts off with, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So what does it mean to seek the things that are above? What does Jesus consider above? How can we change our mindsets to seek those things above? Well, I'm going to share three things with you um, today in the time we have remaining that Jesus considers above that we need to be thinking about. But first, before we dive in, I've got to let you know that thinking godly does not come naturally. Okay, it's not natural to our flesh. First Corinthians 2, 14, 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spirit, uh, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has who has understood the mind of Christ, uh, the mind of the Lord has to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, there's a common phrase in Christianity that says we fight from a place of victory, not a place of defeat. Very common phrase. I've heard it a million times, okay? Yay, Jesus, we're fighting. But we also see this in our salvation. You see, we didn't save ourselves. Jesus saved us. We see this in our faith. You didn't start your faith. Jesus was the author, and he'll be the finisher of your faith. In love. We didn't love Jesus first. We love him because he first loved us. Even in forgiveness, when you can't forgive, Jesus says, out of the abundance of forgiveness that I have in my heart, tap into that, and I will, you will, through me, forgive that person. And in this situation of adjusting our minds to those things above, even when we can't do it naturally, Jesus gives us his own mind through the Holy Spirit. He gave us his love. 
He gave us His Father. He gave us His life. He gave us His kingdom. He gave us His body, His words, His protection, His peace, His armor, His spirit, a million other things. And He says, you know what? You can have my mind too. So here's some mindset changes that need to happen to see these things above. All right, first one is this. You need to be eternally minded. We need to be eternal minded. This means we need to seek things that are, that are eternal. That's what it means. So when I say we need to be eternal minded, I mean that we need to seek those things that are eternal. So what are those things that are going to transcend from the natural and temporal into the heavenly and eternal? What are those things? I have some potentially good news and some potentially bad news, okay? The, the, the good news and the bad news together is that potentially everything is eternal. Now, how's that? Like, well, you can't take money with you, so how's that eternal? Well, money, if used properly, can turn into souls, and that's eternal. Mo- money is neither good nor bad. It's neither evil nor righteous, that's why the Bible doesn't say the love of money. It's the, it, says, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's idolatry. Okay? It's, so, so money is neither one way or the other. But money can be used for evil intent, and money can be used for good, godly intent. Money can be eternal. What about relationships? Whether it's a family or friends or a stranger, what you say and do has the potential for eternal ramifications. Let me ask you this. How would it change how you interact with people if you knew it might impact their eternity? The Bible says in Colossians 3.17 that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Let me say it to you like this. And everything you do, do it as if eternity depends on it. So you're at Walmart and somebody cuts in front of you. Is that eternal or not? The action is definitely not. But what negative impact can your anger have in that moment? If you're wearing a freedom shirt, y'all keep your mouth shut. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Like, you go to that church, don't you? Yeah. I, if, uh, Pastor Stephen at New Covenant used to always bust on me because I didn't have a sticker on my car that said New Covenant for a long time. And I said, brother, I'm blessing y'all with that. Because the way I drive, you know, if you drive bad, don't put a sticker on your car. Just put it in your heart. You know what I mean? But as negative as those interactions can be, how about positive ones? You ever look on TikTok, social media, stuff like that? You see where people like pay for people's groceries or somebody's on the street and they, they go get them food and clothes and, and they're just people are just crying like, I was just having hard times. You know, my, you know. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? Those are eternal things. And you think, well, yeah, giving somebody a pair of shoes isn't an eternal thing. Really? Jesus says, I was naked and you clothed me. How is that not eternal? And don't forget you're a spirit with a body, not a body with a spirit. That means everything you do is eternal. It definitely has internal, uh, eternal ramifications. Let me ask you this. Choose three interactions you had this week. How many of them positively impacted eternity? Philippians 4, 4-7. through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness, it's very hard, Gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This word right here is epikasi. It's, it's the word gentle. And it means gentle in the sense of truly 
being truly fair by relaxing overly strict standards in order to keep the spirit of the law. That's, that's what it means. So you could reread it. Let your, you let your desire to be relaxed in your overly strict standards in order to keep the spirit of the law be known to everyone. Now, does that mean compromise? Absolutely not. But what the spirit of the law is, is repentance. The law exists so that you can know what you're doing wrong so you can get right. So what could we read it as? We could read it, let everybody out there know that the most important thing to you is seeing them restored to God's kingdom. That's thinking above. What about with your kids? Are you thinking eternally with your kids? I've said it before that they better know how to find a Bible verse and connect with God better than they can throw a curveball. Okay, it's the truth. But are you building the eternal in your kids by how you interact and invest with them? Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way they should go, and when he's old, they will not depart from it. Listen to me, every moment with your kids either builds eternity or it tears it down. So what's it going to be? Heard a quote this week from Mark Driscoll that said, there is no gray area in Christianity. You're either taking ground or losing it. He's right. What if I told you that being eternal-minded means not only seeking that which is above, but also being willing to let go of that which is below. What's the thing on this earth that's the most important to you? And would you be willing to let that go for the cause of Christ? That's, that's hard. Because most of us would probably say something like our family, like our kids, something like that. Would you be willing to let your house go? What about having no car? Now, is Jesus going to ask you to do that? I'm not saying that. But what if he says, you know what? The moment he said Rwanda, you felt me jump in your heart. He says, that's because I want you to go there. And I want you to live there. Some of you are like, I can't even say Rwanda. Look at this verse. Philippians 4, uh, 2, 5, and 8. Have this mind among you, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know, I just asked, what would you be willing to let go of that's below? What I mean is this, are you really, are you really willing to do anything to have what is above? The world is more than happy to give you what they call above the betters. But how far are you willing to go to have the above that God wants for you? And that's the eternal. I think about Jesus. Jesus had family. Jesus had a mom. Jesus Jesus was there on the cross and looked down and saw his mother broken, looking at him in the state that he was in, where the Bible, the, the, the Bible scholars talk about the fact that his ribs would have been completely and totally visible after the beating that he had. You could probably see his internal organs. No mother wants to see that of their kid, but let me tell you something. As a son myself, I don't want to see my mom endure that, but Jesus was willing to go that far for me, and here's why. And this, y'all, this is advanced Christianity. This is hard, but Jesus knew the truth that what we're experiencing right now in flesh and blood is not forever. It's a blink in time. It's a moment. 
That there is something more important than what you have right now and here. And listen, I know here and now it seems so important. And it seems like there's all we have. But you have a life to live that God's called you to that is above what you see in this earth. And if everything in your life is focused on what is temporal, you will never be able to embrace the eternal. Jesus could go to the cross, even though it caused him to sweat tears of blood and sweat droplets of blood. But he was able to do it for one reason. He knew that this wasn't the real world. And he he knew it. He, He had to lay everything down. To be eternally minded is to put more emphasis on what is eternal than what is temporal. Your house is gonna rot, your car is gonna rust, your money will be will be spent. Your body is going to go to dust. I don't know that rhymed. I'm Dr. Seuss. But the whole point is, everything in our lives is going to go away at some point. Except the eternal things. Like it or not, even if you hold your family the closest, your family's going to die. Okay? But they don't have to die forever. They can be eternal. Your love for people. Your love for people will, be, will endure. Your willingness to serve people will be remembered. Your pursuit of those things above will make lasting impacts. That's the difference between chasing after the temporal and chasing after the eternal. Earthly-minded people may leave a memory, but eternal-minded people leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy. I want my sixth great-grandkid to remember Papa Jason, who used to preach in Liberty, and he created a legacy for our family. Some of y'all have, had, have, 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 have uh, taken in and, and inherited legacies of, 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 of poverty and rejection and legacies of brokenness and abuse and hurt. It's time to start a new legacy, man. But you've got to start thinking eternally to do that. It's true that Jesus sought that which was above so intently that it led him to the cross. But you need to see the results of his willingness to be eternally minded. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. That's you. That's me. And it was, not, it, was, it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. Listen, because Jesus was eternally minded, I get to have eternal life. My question for you is, if you will be eternally minded, who can you help into eternal life? And every word, every deed, every decision... We should be asking one question to be eternally minded. How is this going to impact eternity? That's how you seek things above. The second one is this. Be kingdom minded. Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Ooh, I like them. All them things. What are all them things? Well, it says it right here in 6.25 to 28 to 26. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food? Is the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? The world says seek seek the betters and you'll get what you want. But God says seek the kingdom and you'll get everything added. Uh, Romans 
14, 17 really clears up what that everything is. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the spirit. See, the world says, seek worldly things and you get these things that we think are better. But Jesus says, seek the kingdom and I'll give you righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit. Let me ask you a question. How much would you pay for just a little bit of peace right now? How much would you pay for righteousness? Because let me tell you, righteousness, until Jesus came, it would cost you, you. How much would you pay to have a little bit of joy in your heart? The thing is, the world will want you to pay for these things. Jesus already paid them. And if you'll seek his kingdom, you'll get them. We need to be kingdom minded also because the kingdom isn't full yet. Jesus told us, go ye therefore into all the world preaching the gospel. You know, all of us are evangelists at some point. Uh, you may have a calling of an evangelist, but every one of us is, is an evangelist. But only kingdom-minded people can build the kingdom. And you also have to choose whether or not you want to build the kingdom or your castle. And that's an interesting bit there. First uh, Corinthians 3, Paul says, But our brothers could not address you as spiritual pe- people, because uh, as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you, not, uh, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? What's he saying here? He's saying you're thinking of your flesh. You're thinking carnally, not eternally. You're more concerned with your castle than you are the kingdom. And then he goes on in four. One says, I follow Paul. The other says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Who, who is Apollo? Who is Paul? We're just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Now here's the part. For we are God's fellow workers. You were God's field. You were God's building. You see, it isn't about you and your castle. You belong to God. You're his temple. What am I saying? Here's what, let me put it into terms of my own life. God has given me metaphorically a plot of land that he wants to put everything and produce seed, produce crops for the kingdom of God. He wants everything I am to produce for the kingdom. But here's what happens is we get so wrapped up in ourselves that we build our castles on that piece of land. And I don't know if you know this, but if you build something on it, you can't use it to plant and sow. You can't use it to reap and harvest. And so what we do is we have our lives filled with all of these castles and buildings and all this stuff. And God can't produce anything from our lives because we've taken the soil with our castle. It's time to knock down the castle, man. According to the grace God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's our foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. For if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as to the fire. Let me explain what I'm saying here, what the Bible's saying here. Don't think your castle won't be tested by fire. It will be. And this is where many people turn away. It's because they spend their entire lives building their castles. 
And some even believe their castles is actually God's kingdom. But the fire tests it all. Let me tell you guys, castles become ruins, but his kingdom is what remains. The last one is this. We need to be spiritually minded. You know, Paul talks in, in 2 Corinthians 11 about how Eve was deceived by the enemy's cunning and her thoughts were led astray. And he was worried that the people in Corinth would be led astray by the enemy's uh, by the, those thoughts as well. And so in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about how he has this problem, this issue back and forth. He, he wants to do the right thing, but he finds he's constantly doing the wrong thing. And he, he doesn't know. And finally, in verse 24, he says, what a miserable person I am. Who's going to free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? And he says, thank God the answer is through Jesus Christ our Lord, seeking first his kingdom. That's what happens. And that opens the door for us to be changed and renewed. Why? Because if we're spiritual minded, our thought processes are renewed and our actions drastically change because we're being led by the Spirit. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So let your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will obey God's laws. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you, come on Christians, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of the living God in you. And remember, if you don't have the Spirit living in you, you don't belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give you life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. So the very thing that you want, that you think you're going to get by living carnally and fleshly, you actually get by living spiritually. The carnal mind wants the body to live. But the only way the body can live in the way that it's supposed to live is if we're spiritually minded and are led by the Spirit. Because what does the Word say right here? He gives life to our what bodies? Not our eternal bodies. Our mortal bodies. What's the translation? You want to live your better, best life now? Be led by the Spirit. But until you're willing to submit everything to the Lordship of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you're going to struggle with your thought life which creates sinfulness in your physical life, which destroys your spiritual life. So what's that mean? It's simple. Yes to Jesus as your Lord. That's your confession. Yes to the Holy Spirit as your guide. That's your submission. And yes to God as Father. Why? Because that's your role, son and daughter. The little thing that needs adjusting today is your thinking. That's what it is been singing a song in my head all week um it's may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart it's old song be pleasing to you be pleasing to you i've been singing all day long so i looked up this bible verse and man does it fit psalm 19 12 through 14 how can i know all the sins lurking in my heart cleanse from cleanse me from these hidden faults keep your servants from deliberate sins don't let them control me then i will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This whole message today boils down to one thing, and it's simply this. Do you want Jesus and his kingdom more than you want anything else? 
Because what you're seeking will reveal what you're wanting. That's where the message is going to end. But this morning, it was about 4.45 in the morning, I woke up and I just couldn't go back and sleep. And I started writing down because the Lord started speaking to me. And he said, stress is the result of trying to do it on your own. Peace is the result of giving it to God. And when he said that, the next thought came to my mind was, Father, show me where I've been faithless and not faithful. Show me where I've been rebellious and not obedient. Show me where I've thought earthly and temporal, not eternal, kingdom, and spiritual. And then this verse pops into my head. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And to his riches where? In glory. So if we want to wrap this all up with a pretty little bow, here's what it is. Everything I need, I'll get if I think on things above. Because in glory is where he has the supply. Everything I think has to be above things, not below things. doesn't mean below things can't be in your mind, but they cannot be driving, guys. They cannot be driving the vehicle. So here's, here's what I'll invite you to do today. If you just bow your head for a moment, close your eyes. Only, only reason I ask you to do that is so you can focus on you and the Lord. The things he showed me this morning were, where have I been faithless where I should have been faithful? Where have I been rebellious where I should have been obedient? Now, why are those two things so important? Here's why. It's because if you are faithless and rebellious, God can't give you what he needs you to have because you'll destroy it. So he asks you to be faithful and obedient so he can pour it out. So here's what I'm asking you to do right now in your own time, in your own way. Ask the Holy Spirit, number one, are there moments in my life where I've been faithless and, and rebellious? And as he begins to show you things, I want you to just ask God to forgive you. He's not Thor waiting to strike you. He loves you. Let him forgive you. God, will you help me be faithful and obedient? I know those things start in my thinking processes. So right now, in the name of Jesus, and this is something you need to receive, you need to do, I receive the mind of Christ right now, God, that you've promised to me. I receive the mind of Christ. Father, that I'll begin to think like you think. That I'll begin to respond like you respond, God. That I'll ask you before I do something. We thank you for it. God, I pray for your people. pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd speak to them right now in this moment. God, I pray over the course of the week that you would show them different things that's going on. Things where they've been faithless and disobedient and rebellious. God, that they can move back into a place of faithfulness and obedience. God, we want to think like you think. and We respond like you respond. Help us think eternal, kingdom, and spiritual minded. In Jesus' name I pray. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.